Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. So our teaching series is the Jesus series, and today's teaching is the Incarnation. So our teaching in this season is the Jesus series, and today we're going to be starting with the Incarnation. So I, I welcome you all to the Jesus series, and this teaching is structured in such a way that it would help strengthen your conviction about the person of Christ, what you know about him. And help you be able to witness Jesus better to the whole of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Remember the song we had Hallelujah. at the camp meeting. Till the ends of the world, we see his glory, we see his power. And so everything we're learning also is towards that goal. Praise Jesus. Amen. You see, it would be wrong for you to Amen. claim that Jesus saved you without knowing how he did it or what he did or who he is. It would also be wrong for you to claim that you are a follower of Jesus and not know anything about him. Praise Jesus. And so we're going to start today talking about the incarnation. My goal for this teaching, I have about four of them, and I'm going to read them out to you. What I believe that at the end of this teaching in particular, and maybe the teaching series generally everyone should know. And the first is that I want to prove to you, biblically, that God became flesh in the person of Jesus. My second goal for this teaching is to answer the question, how can Jesus be the Son of God and yet still be God? And my third goal is to explain the efficacy or the effect and benefits of the incarnation and lastly I'm going to explain how the incarnation was necessary for our salvation even though it was not really what God all saved did you all get that yes, sir. so at the end of this teaching series these four things I've said are the things you're going to have to check do I have an answer to these four things and you're in for a good time tell someone in the comment section or just shout it out and tell someone, say you're in for a great time. Hallelujah! So what is incarnation? What is the incarnation? The incarnation refers to deity becoming humanity. Or deity becoming flesh. And in this situation, we're talking about God becoming human. Hallelujah! You see, Jesus is a very popular figure in the world today. Sometimes very controversial. Different people have different ideas of who Jesus is. The Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet. So when I was doing this, you know, uh, uh, um, when I was preparing for this sermon, I went to Google and I put in, who is Jesus? And I got a few responses. So Wikipedia said, Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus was a first century Jewish preacher and religious leader. He is the central figure of Christianity, the world's largest religion. That's an idea of who Jesus is. Another place where I got an answer 
is Britannica. It's a popular dictionary place where I get like important um, definitions. And Britannica said, Jesus, also called Jesus Christ, Jesus of Galilee, or Jesus of Nazareth, is a religious leader revered in Christianity, one of the world's major religions. But something surprising I saw on that was that it says there are alternate titles of Jesus. And he said, Isa, which is Isa ibn Maryam. That's Isa, the son of Mary. And this is an Islamic appellation. So yes, Jesus is revered all around the world. If you look at the way these things were defined, it wasn't defined as if there, there isn't a Jesus. It was defined like there's a Jesus. But it was the idea of the Jesus that sort of seemed like, okay, good, you guys are getting there, but you don't really know who he is. And so to the Jews, Jesus is just a teacher. And he's not God. And most Jews believe that he's not the Messiah. To the Muslims, he was a prophet from God. He was born of a virgin, but he did not die. Rather, he ascended to heaven, and he's coming back again to defeat the Antichrist. To the Buddhists, he's a great teacher. Many Buddhists want to prove that Jesus and Buddha were friends. And then to the Jehovah's Witness, Jesus is the firstborn son of God, and is the angel, the archangel Michael. And so you see that he is revered in many religions. But what is known about him? What is believed about him? Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, everyone. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I the son of man am? What is believed of me? Yes, I'm popular. Yes, they've heard of the things I do. But what do they believe of me? What are the stories that they tell of me? Jesus will not be asking if it wasn't important what you believe about him. I think that again, Jesus will not be asking if it wasn't important what they believed about him. If it was just about the popularity, Jesus would not have been asking who do men say that I, the son of man, am. What's their story? And in verse 14, they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. I think this is the funniest of them all. Because John the Baptist was alive in Jesus' time. So why would some people say you are John the Baptist? That's shocking. He says, Some say you are Elias as Elijah. And probably that's understandable because according to the scripture, there's a prophecy about an Elijah which is to come. He says, Some say you're Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. And just like in our day, in their time also, there were many ideas of who Jesus is. Just like many people think he's just an ordinary prophet. In the scriptures also, they thought he was an ordinary prophet. Hallelujah. And Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? Who? Do you say I am? Because it matters. And I ask you today, who do you say Jesus is? If you are confronted with the question, who is Jesus? What would you say? Would you be able to answer? Check in your mind now. I'm asking you the question, who is Jesus? What would you say? What would be your answer? 
Hallelujah. And in a season where we are particular about an evangelical mindset, it is important that you know Jesus for yourself and you are able to witness him to the world. Say praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Alright. This question I just ask you is one that is very important and it will spell the difference between many things. So I told you what the Muslims believe about Jesus right now. And so some of us still say, oh, Christians and Muslims believe the same thing. There are no differences. They just use Arabic, we use English. But it's different. It matters. Hallelujah. It matters. We read a book called My Book of Bible Stories when we were young. That book was written by the Jehovah's Witness. And in that book, Jesus was said to be an angel. You see why it matters? It matters. It matters to Jesus as well. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And this is the prophet Isaiah prophesying about a child which is to be born in the future. Verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He says, Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose good, the land shall abhor, the land that thou shalt abhor shall be forsaken both her kings. Now, there's a lot in that prophecy, but our emphasis is in verse 14. This was a prophecy about the Messiah. It says, The Lord will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was a prophecy about the Messiah. I explained to you the meaning of the Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? It means the anointed one. That's the same word that you get the word Christ from. So when Jesus is called Jesus Christ, he is called Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Messiah. And this is a prophecy about the Messiah. He says the Lord will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a child. And the child's name shall be what? Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is a Hebrew word that means what? God with us. Or with us is God. And this is talking about a reputation that the anointed one would have. He was describing the reputation that but this, this virgin will give birth to a child and his reputation will be that God is made manifest in the flesh. God with us. Hallelujah. God with what? With us. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born. I give you some time to open it. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of what? Of Peace. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it. And he says, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, 
even forever. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So here's another prophecy. Speaking about someone to come. A child who would govern with peace and take over the throne of David and reign forever. This will ring a bell for those of you who were here when I taught understanding the gospel. I told you about the prophecies. And one of the important prophecies we read in Chronicles was speaking about the anointed one that would come who would reign on top of the throne of David forever. And it shall be part of the lineage of David. That was why it was important for them to check that Jesus was of the line of David. So when you are reading the Bible, when you read the New Testament and you go to Matthew, all those parts you don't read and you are like, I beg, why did they name all these things? Why are they naming and this begat this, this begat this, that part you skip. It wasn't there for decoration. It wasn't there because they are introducing a new thing, so they are, no. It was there because the writer there knew the community he was speaking to. He was speaking to a Jewish community who knew the prophecies. And the prophecy that he that they had was that the Messiah which was to come is going to be born of the line of David. And so it was important for him to prove the descent of Jesus and show you the family tree for you to understand that Jesus is the son of David. Is that clear? Are you getting it? So, from that teaching understanding the gospel, and if you have the time, go listen to it. I showed you the prophecies. And this is one of them. This is one of such prophecies. They are called messianic prophecies. They are prophecies about the Messiah to come. And it says, a child will be given who will govern and he will rule forever on the throne of David. Are you with me? So even before Jesus came, it was prophesied. You know, Jesus is a master. God himself is a master communicator. If he's going to talk to you, he's going to talk to you. He's the God that set a bush on fire just to get Moses' attention. And it's the same God that healed the things that he was going to reveal at an appointed time in the Old Testament. So he started to communicate with the people his plan about the Messiah from the Old Testament. This is one of such prophecies. Preparing them for the coming of the Christ. Hallelujah. He says, a virgin will give birth. Come to think of it. How was that prophecy fulfilled? How many virgins are giving birth today? Do you get? He said it shall be a sign. Are you understanding what he's saying? He says it shall be a sign. And then here he talks about the name again. So he says, unto us the child is born, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Look at the names there, the reputation, the appellation that was given to him. He says, wonderful counselor. Then he says, the mighty God. This has to bring you to think about it. Oh, wow. You are talking to me about a child that is to come. And Isaiah, you are calling him the mighty God. Is this a mistake? He says, the mighty God. He says, the everlasting father. He says, the prince of peace. How can the son be called the everlasting father? How can a child be called the mighty God? This has to make you think about something. Then this child he's talking about isn't just an ordinary child. Hallelujah. This child he's talking about isn't just an ordinary child. And this has to be a prophecy about the incarnation. What did I say the incarnation is? God becoming flesh. And Isaiah is prophesying that this child which is to be born will be known 
as God made manifest in the flesh. This child which is to be born will be known as the mighty God. This child which is to be born will be known as the everlasting word, Father. And so the first point on the incarnation is that the incarnation was prophesied. That's the first point. What did I say? The incarnation was prophesied. It is a true biblical concept. And by this, I'm beginning to give you answers and proof of the deity of Christ. That Christ isn't just human, but Christ is God made manifest in the flesh. The prophecy of Isaiah is a prophecy about the incarnation. The second point Is everybody with me so I don't lose you? Yes, sir. This is good. I don't want to be too fast so everyone gets what I'm saying. Now we begin to see the life of Jesus. We begin to see him on earth as a man. And from his birth, he's being treated as a king. This is strange. And scripture says, wise men from the east, you know, evil guys, they know they carry last. They are there, they see a star. An angel tell them about the child. I'm sorry, they are not evil guys who are kidding. Please don't write that to your notes. That's a joke. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. I'll be gone. All right. So, wise men from the east, they see a star. And the Bible never mentioned how many of them. And they trace the star and they follow the star till they come to Jesus. And they get to a baby. And the Bible tells us that when they got to him, they presented him with three gifts. And what? They worshipped him. What a sight that must have been. To see fully grown men bowing down to a baby. What a sight that must have been. So Jesus, in his childhood, being treated as a king, being worshipped. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This was not the last time he was worshipped. We see in John chapter 9, and John chapter 9 verse 1, he says, and, and as Jesus passed, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents. Are you all in John chapter 9? He says, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. And verse 6 says, When he had just spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eye of the blind man with clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went away therefore and washed, and came seen. 
So Jesus had just healed a guy who was blind from, from birth. And verse 8, the neighbors therefore, which, saw, which knew that he was blind, saw him and said, Is this not the same guy who begged? Is this not the same guy who sat there and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore they, they, therefore they said unto him, How are your eyes opened? And in verse 11, he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought the Pharisees, they brought to, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made clear and opened the eyes. And then again the Pharisees asked him, how is it that you receive sight? He said unto them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I saw. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not a man of God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. So people were surprised. And some were like, Because he did this on the Sabbath, he's not a man of God. And then others were like, were like, If he's a man of God, you need to see that this was the first time that the blind eye was ever opened in scriptures. So, it was obvious that the guy who did this had to be of God. And then in verse 17, they said unto the blind man, What says thou of him that he, op he had opened thy eye? That's what did you say to him? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. That they did not believe that the guy was blind and received sight. And they called his parents. And they're like, is this your son? Who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? The spirit does that to them. We don't know. That's him. You know, when you want to doubt the, 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 the miraculous power of God, you just look very foolish. You're asking the parents, how is it that your child that was blind? And they're like, he's a full-grown man. Ask him. See him there. Ask him. And then in verse 22, this word spake the parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Do you see that? That if anyone should agree that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one to come, they should put him out of the synagogue. Therefore, the parents said, he's of age, ask him. And then again, called the man that was blind and said unto him, give God praise, we know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. One thing I know is that once I was blind, now I see. Hallelujah! Amen. Then said they unto him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Or do you want to be his disciples? <laughs> and then they were angry with him. And that, uh, it says, that was his disciples. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, Why? Isn't this a marvelous thing? That you know not where he's from, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God, and done his will, he heareth him. And since the world began, was it not heard that, was it not heard that any man opened the eye of anyone who was born blind? That is, that never happened before. And the answer unto him, that was altogether born in sin. And you are teaching us, and they cast him out. Hallelujah. It's a long read, but pay attention. Praise Jesus. Pay attention. And then in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he had said, 
Do you believe in the Son of God? He says, do you believe in the Son of God? And in verse 36, he answered, I said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And in verse 37, Jesus said, Thou hast seen him, and it is he which talketh with thee. And in verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And what did he do after? He worshipped him. Hallelujah. He did what? He worshipped him. And yet again, Jesus is being worshipped. This man had seen the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. And his immediate response was what? He was worshipped. Praise God. The sonship of Jesus wasn't a problem at that time. Even God announced him at his baptism. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. And yet again, at his resurrection, they were at the tomb. And they that were at the tomb made the tomb empty. And in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 8, it says, And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring the disciples' word. So they were going to bring word to the disciples of what had happened. That, hey guys, the tomb is empty. All that Jesus said he was going to do, he did. And while they were on their way, scripture says, Jesus met them. And he was like, all hell. And they came. And they held him by his feet. And they did what? They worshipped him. They did what? They held him by his feet. And they worshipped him. And right after, they got there, they testified, they brought others, they ran back, they checked the tomb, they made it empty. When they got there, they were like, oh boy, guys, the tomb is empty. And Thomas is like, I cannot believe. You guys must be lying. So you go to John chapter 20, and verse 26 to 28, and after eight days, you know, Thomas was like, he's not going to believe, and that's where they got the name down to Thomas, bro. You know, and Thomas was like, I don't believe. Except I see in his hands the print of the nails. Except I trust my hand in the side where he was spared. I would not believe. And in John chapter 20 and verse 26. After he says, after eight days again, his disciples were with him. And Thomas with them. You know, Jesus had appeared to them one time. And so Thomas was not there. So Thomas did not believe. And so this second time, Jesus appeared to them again. This time Thomas being with them. And, you know, the doors being shut, he stood in their midst and said, Peace be unto you. And then said he to Thomas, Reach hither my finger. What a sight that must have been. You were doubting that I'm alive. Touch me. Reach hither my, my, my fingers. He says, Touch me. Behold my hand. He says, Trust it into my side. Check for yourself. And be not faithless, but believing. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Say, Jesus is alive. Jesus is, Jesus is alive. And in verse 28, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, the revelation, what he had seen of Jesus being risen from the gate or from the grave, led him to call Jesus what? Lord and what? God. Savior. Mark, not Savior. God. Do you know what it means to call Jesus God? Lord and God. So, his disciple 
is calling him Lord and God. There has to be a reason. There has to be what? A reason. There has to be a reason. And there are certain implications to the fact that Jesus was worshipped. You see, angels do not take worship. In, in, in Revelation chapter 19, John was describing an experience he had where he, he bowed to worship an angel. And the angel responded to him and said, I'm a fellow servant like you and of thy brethren and, and have the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God. So angels do not take worship. John is worshiping the angel. The angel is like, I'm a fellow servant like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. But we see in many places Jesus being worshipped. And first of all, this must cancel the claim of the Jehovah's Witness that Jesus is an angel. Because if Jesus was an angel, he would not be worshipped and he would not have received worship. Hallelujah! And so we see Jesus worshipped in many places. This has to bring something to your mind that this guy could not have been ordinary. This guy could not have just been an angel. This guy could not just have been an ordinary prophet. He was worshipped. And this shows the deity of Christ. That Jesus is not just human. He's deity. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Then this brings me to my third point. If Jesus is God, why then do we call him the Son of God? And this is a question you face a lot when you engage Muslims. Because Muslims are going to tell you God never married and how did God have a child? How can Jesus be the Son of God and still be God? And it isn't a problem if you simply understand, you know, scriptures. You see, the title, and he called himself the Son of God as well many times. But you see, the title, Son of God, is misunderstood in our day. But wasn't a problem in their day. I'll tell you why it wasn't a problem in their time. Because the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God is a testament to the prophecies which they've had in the Old Testament. Are you with me? For them, it was not a problem. They knew. They knew. It was a testament to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One. They had many prophecies to this. The sonship of Jesus for them wasn't a contradiction to his deity. Rather, it was a pointer to his deity for them. Because when Jesus said, he's, he's the son of God, that guy just simply did what? He worshipped him. Why? The prophecies that had come concerning who he who is the son of God makes it clear to them that this person is going to be the expression of God on this earth. Are you with me? So, you, you, you know, you, you, you look through all those prophecies I told you, please make sure you listen to understanding the gospel. I did a, a proper teaching there. You see the prophecy of Isaiah. And then that prophecy talks about somebody's going to reign forever. I taught you in that teaching about the suffering servant and the Messiah King. He who is going to take their sins away but is going to rule the world. Who the government of the shoulder shall be upon his shoulder. They knew he was coming. They knew about him. 
and so think about it. At the baptism of Jesus, a voice from heaven comes and declares about Jesus and says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That is a marker to the to the sign of the of the prophet of the prophecy about the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. So by God calling him my beloved son, God was announcing to the world that this is the Messiah. This is the chosen one which I've been prophesying about. Are you with me? So for them, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem. Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. When the angel appeared to Mary, what did he say? Verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail Mary, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women. Uh, and <laughs> for our counterparts, I like to think that Mary was only on her life. Mary did not do anything to be chosen of God. It was an election of grace. Are you with me? It was an election of grace. So, our sainthood self is the same sainthood we have. There's no special sainthood based on our holiness at any point. She was surprised. He says, Hail Mary, he says, Hail God. He says, Hail thou are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed amongst, blessed are thou amongst women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And in verse 30, the angel said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast done what? Found favor with God. It's not because you were holy, you found favor with God. Now follow this part closely. Verse 31. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name what? Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called what? Jesus. The son of the highest. He says, And the Lord shall give unto him the thrones of his father David. Do you see the prophecy? Of somebody who is going to reign forever. The government of the shoulder shall be upon him, and he shall reign, and the zeal of the Lord will perform it. You see that prophecy here. He says, and shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of the kingdom there shall be no end. Because this is Bible study, I'm going to show you so you see it well. Go back to when we read Isaiah's prophecy. Go back to when we read Isaiah's prophecy. You will see the similarity in Isaiah's prophecy and what was said here. Are you there? Are you guys there? Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us the child is born, unto us the son is given. The government shall be upon the shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He says, Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice for men's fault, even forever. So, this was a promise about somebody who's going to reign on the throne of David forever. Do you see that? And bring, you know, the yes, government sir. of God. This was this the, this prophecy was why they were expecting Jesus to come as an economic political leader. Because the prophecy was talking about the fact that the government of the world shall be upon the shoulder. But they did not know that the government was not on this end, but the government was of God. And the government was that God was going to reign in every heart till the ends of the world. Hallelujah! So, does that make sense now? Do you see the comparisons here? Are you getting it? Alright, let's move on. So here, the angel is talking. And the angel is saying that, you know, He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, it says, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of the kingdom there shall be no end. And then she said, 
Verse 34. It says, Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know no man? Pay attention. She says, How shall this be, seeing that I know no man? How will I have a child if I'm a virgin? And verse 34. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called what? The Son of God. Verse 31. He says, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. I'm simply reading the scripture, so follow it. If you open your Bibles, you will not be lost. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of God of the highest. And the Lord shall give him the throne of his father, David. And this is the prophecy. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Forever and of the kingdom there shall be no end. And then Mary asked and said, How shall this be, seeing that I know no man? How am I going to have a child because I'm a virgin? And 35, pay attention. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called what? The Son of God. So why would he be the Son of God? Because he has no father. How would you have a child? The power of the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and you shall have a child. So who will be the father of the child? God. So the reason why he is called the Son of God is because he is conceived by the power of God. It refers to the paternity of the child. Praise God. So the sonship of Jesus is a direct reference to the virgin birth and does not contradict his deity. God is still God and God came as a human and the title son of God is because, listen to what the angel told Mary. He says that the power of God shall overshadow you. This is how you have a child and because of this, that child shall be called what? The son of God. Is this clear to everybody? So whenever he is called the son of God It's a direct reference To the virgin birth He has no earthly father And so he is what? The son of God This is not a contradiction This is not to say if Jesus is God Then how is he the son of God He is the son of God because of the virgin birth Not because he slept with a woman Hallelujah. You need to see that Jesus was never called the Son of God before he came to this world. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word. You must say in the beginning was the Son. He says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. But when he came to this earth, the title Son of God came. Why? Because he was born by the power of the Holy Ghost. Is this clear? So, to my next point. Why was the incarnation necessary? I hope you are all following. Why was the incarnation necessary? Why did God have to come? Why did he have to come as a man? Couldn't he have forgiven sin by snapping his fingers? Why all this long journey? He's all powerful. Why then is the incarnation needed like I mentioned at the beginning 
The incarnation was not what saved us. But it was necessary towards our salvation. What I mean by that is that God becoming a human was not what saved us. But in becoming a human, it was leading to the point where he had to die for our sins to save us. Do you get that? Mm-hmm. So, why did he have to come? Why was the incarnation necessary? What is the efficacy of the incarnation? I've explained this time and again, and I'm going to take it again. God is just. During the camp meeting, I explained to you the holiness of God. And how in the holiness of God, you see, you know, you see it put side by side with the justice of God. And what is the justice of God? Justice and the justice of God refers to the fact that God makes, he gives the appropriate reward for actions. He's just in the sense that there is justice for everything that happens. And in being good, we expect God to be just. What do I mean by that? Justice means that if someone does wrong, give him the wrong punishment. If he does good, give him a good reward. Be fair and be just. Hallelujah. But we can't measure up to the justice of God. Because in the justice of God, we see God having to punish sin. Why? Let me bring it to a normal scenario. If you do good, and you were punished for doing good, and your friend does something less than you, and he was not punished by the same teacher, would you consider that teacher just? No. Would you consider that teacher good? No. So that means we attribute goodness with justice. And so in being just, you are being good. And that is why you have to see that the justice of God is also the goodness of God. God has to punish sin to be just. It does not mean God is bad. It means God is good. So when people give you the mindset that if God is good, why is there hell? It's because he's just. And in his justice, we see his goodness. Is that clear? That that has to make sense. So, in in his justice, we see his goodness. And so, if he does like this and snaps for your sin to go, then he's not just and he's not good. So to be just and to be good, we have to see God punish evil. We have to see God punish sin. Are you following me? We have to see God punish sin. This is important. And what is the wage of sin? Death. Death. Romans talks about it. That's why you see Ephesians chapter 2. Talk about the fact that we were once dead in trespasses, leading on to wrath, leading on to death. We were once children of wrath. Following the loss of our flesh, we were leading to death. Our end goal was death. Why? Because the wage of sin is death. Sin brought separation with God from God. And it made us dead. Hallelujah. The wage of sin is what? Death. And so, for that death to be taken away from you, someone has to pay the price. I give you an analogy I always use when I explain this. A judge was in court trashing matters. And all of a sudden they called the next case. And the next case happened to be his son. 
And so his son had committed a crime and he had been charged to court. And then when he saw his son, he had to be just. But he's also good and he's also loving. And so, if in being loving, he tells his son, go scot-free, is he a good judge? No, he's not. Because you've punished other people for that same crime. So you are not just. And so the judge decided that, okay, I'm going to give you what is necessary for this. And he says, for what you've done, you're going to pay a fine of five million naira. And then they hit it, bam, and they're like, caught, and they stand up. And then because the judge is also a loving judge, he walks to the back of the scene and says, oh, it is five million, and then he picks up his checkbook and he writes a check of five million and he pays for his son. Is he still just? Yes, he's still just. Why? Because the payment for that crime was still paid. But in being a loving father, he decided to step in for his son and pay the price for his son. Is this clear? And so the wage of sin is death. Man could not save himself. Man could not save himself. One of the reasons why man could not save himself is seen in Romans chapter 5. You know, it would take a sinless person to be able to pay a price for you. Because if you are going to save yourself, you can't. You are in sin. You are deep in sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even under them that had not sinned. It says, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure? So death passed on every man from Adam down to Moses and everyone. So just by being born, you are born into sin. And that's why you cannot save yourself. Is that clear? That's why you cannot save yourself. You are born into sin. You carry the sin nature just by birth. Just by birth. And so God is like, they can't save themselves. I'm a just God, but I'm also a loving father. My love nature is amplified. That is who God is. God is love. But he's also just. And it's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to save them? They can't save themselves. And it's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice for their sin. And just like the analogy of the just judge, God decides to come as a man to pay your sin. Guess what? He couldn't come as a man born by the, the intercourse between a man and a woman because hence you would have carried the same sin nature that you carried. Hence the need for a virgin birth. I'll take that again. The, the, the need for the virgin birth is seen in the fact that if God was going to come and stand in our place as a sinless sacrifice, he couldn't have been born through the line of Adam because everyone in the line of Adam carries the curse of Adam. So the way to break that line and the transparency of the curse was that he would not be born by the intercourse of a man. The man carries the seed. And so by the power of the Holy Ghost, his seed is different. He comes with a new seed of a new line, sinless. And so Mary, by the power of the Holy Ghost, now has a child that does not carry the Adamic nature and the Adamic curse. Do you see why the virgin birth was important now? You see why, why the incarnation was important? This will make sense when you see Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where it says, I will put enmity between the woman and thy seed, and her seed, between the woman thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, 
and that shall bruise their heel. Many theologians agree with me when we say that this scripture is a reference to the virgin birth. Why? The woman does not carry the seed. You know, I read an article once that if you leave an unfertilized egg of a hen and you put it in an incubator or whatever, the blood capillaries and the blood vessels only start to form after a sperm has been introduced into that equation. Are you with me? And so it means that the seed, the blood vessels, everything is carried and transferred through the man. And here is God telling Eve that I will put enmity between your seed and the devil's seed. Your seed will bruise the head of the serpent. This was a direct reference to the virgin birth. Because the only time that Mary or any woman had any seed that was not by the intervention of a man was in the virgin birth. Mm -hmm. And when he said that his feet would bruise the head of the serpent, he was talking about the victory that Christ will have over the devil. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave that detail and come back to the sermon that we are teaching. So listen to me. God had to come as Jesus. Why? To pay our sins. He had to come as sinless perfection also. So he couldn't come through the line of Adam. Hence the virgin birth. And so, in coming to this earth as a man, he could then die for your sins. He could then die for my sins. Listen, it is one of the biggest show of God's love. The incarnation alone, even without the death, is one of the biggest show of the love of God that you can ever find. I told you in the camp meeting that the comparison between humanity and deity is, 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 is farther, far longer than the comparison between a human and a maggot. The comparison between you turning to a maggot comes nothing close to the comparison of deity becoming humanity. So you need to know that God has to love the world so much for him to come as a man. Philippians 2 begins to say, he says, let this mind be in you. Who thought it not be to be called to God? He says, God made himself of no reputation but and humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross. He calls, Jesus, he calls God becoming a human, making himself of no reputation. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, sir. That action alone has to show you God's love. The incarnation has to show you God's love. But listen, the incarnation made penal substitution possible. Why? Now that Jesus is on earth and God is on earth as Jesus, he can then go to the cross and pay for all our sins and the judgment of all our sins can be put upon him. All our sins can be put in him and he can be killed on behalf of all of us. Hallelujah. That's how salvation came. Someone shall glory. Glory. The second importance and the first importance was that the incarnation made salvation possible even though the incarnation is not salvation. You get what I mean? Good. The second importance of the incarnation is that when Jesus came to this world, he revealed God to the world. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter Hallelujah. 1 and verse 1 to 3. Scripture says, God, who had sundry times and in diverse manner, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He says, Had in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he had appointed here of all things, by whom also he made the world. Scripture calls him what he says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sin and sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. So Jesus reveals God to us. Praise God. Jesus does what? Reveals God to us. If you go back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, For if by one man offense, death reigned by one, he says, Much more, they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience we were made sinners, so by the obedience of one man shall many be made righteous. Shout hallelujah! Hallelujah! So listen. Adam led a race that led on to death. Adam led a race where sin was transferred from man to man. But Jesus led another race when he came. Hallelujah. If by one man offense came into the world, by one man also it is fitting that salvation and righteousness shall come unto men. Praise Jesus. And so Adam started a race. That's why Adam is called a shadow of Christ. Because he started a line of people. But Jesus came and started another line of people. Praise God. Hallelujah. That line of sin transferring stopped at Jesus. When you believe, you are changed. You are what? You are changed. Adam led a race. Jesus led another race with greater glory. With greater glory. And that's why before Jesus' death, he was called what? The only begotten son. But guess what? After his death, he was no longer called the only begotten son. He was called what? The first begotten. Why was he first called the first begotten? If you go to John chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus speaking, he said, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat falls to the floor and, and, and die, it would abide alone. But when it falls to the floor, it bringeth forth what? Much fruit. When he was speaking here, he was not talking about agriculture. Rather, he was talking about the fact that if he's here, staying here, he's the only begotten son. But when he dies and falls to the ground and comes back alive, he no longer becomes the only begotten son. He becomes what? The first begotten. Why? In his death, he has made room for many people in his father's mansion. You and I are now a part of God's family as a result of the death of Christ. Is this clear? We are parts. That's how we are brothers and sisters. So the second thing the incarnation does is that it shows us a pattern of living just like as our firstborn has lived. Are you with me? To show you what is possible, what he could do, we can do also. To show you that if Jesus 
was raised by the power of God on his inside, then also when we die, we'll be raised by the power of God on our inside. Are you getting it? It's a pattern. It's showing us. If Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to heal those who are oppressed of the sick. It means that because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you also, you will do what? You will preach the gospel, you will heal those who are oppressed of the devil. You will preach, you will heal people. Is this clear? Yes, sir. As a pattern. Yes, sir. As a pattern. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, it shall also quicken your mortal body like it quickened Christ's mortal body. So Jesus, as the incarnation, died and he became the first man to resurrect and not die again. Why? To also show you that a time is coming where when you sleep, you would be awakened to never die again. This is a pattern we see in Christ. Is this clear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, we are in a family where Christ is the firstborn. And this is another thing that the incarnation made possible. possible. God revealed in human form. God revealed in the flesh. There are many other ways you can prove the deity of Christ. And I'll just be reading them out to you as we begin to round up. You can read them in your spare time. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Scripture says, No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, has done what? Has declared Him. Is that your response? The only begotten of God has done what? Has declared Him. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It says, who being in the form of God. Oh, so Jesus Hallelujah. was once in the form of God. Mm-hmm. Are you getting how to prove this now? Mm-hmm. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal to God. Don't tell me Jesus is an ordinary angel. Philippians is telling us that what? He was once in the image of God. He, he was once in equality with God rather. Yeah. He was in the form of God. He says he thought it not robbery to be called to God. But rather, he made himself a more reputation, coming as a human. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Who laid down his life for us? Hey! Are you sleeping? Was Jesus' name mentioned there? Hereby perceive we the love of who? Of God. That he laid down his life. God laid down his life for us. Was this a typo in the Bible? Hey, Are you getting it? No. Are you getting it? Yes, sir. Do you want to tell me? That the writer of John was making a mistake. It says, Here by we perceive the love of God. God laid his life for us. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. It says, Being made so much better than the angels. Mark, first of all, this is too clear. I don't know where you get the idea that Jesus is an angel. Yeah. 
Is this being made so much better than the angels? As he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than this. For unto which of the angels did God say at any time, Thou art my son? This day have I begotten thee. He says, And again I will be to him a father, and he will be to me what? A son. She Hallelujah. The next verse is, and again, when he bringeth his first begotten into the world. Actually, I think the first part, there's a, there's a flow of thought in Hebrews chapter 1, so I don't mix it up for you guys. There's a flow of thought in Hebrews chapter um, 1, from verse 1. After talking about being um, in the likeness of God, Jesus being, he says, being made so much better than angels. Okay, yes, here he was still talking about Jesus. He says, which of the angels did he say at any time that my son? In this year have I begotten in verse 6. He says, and again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he said, let the angels of God do what? Hey, worship him. Worship him. He couldn't have just been an ordinary man then. Let the angels of God what? Worship him. If he's an angel, why are the angels worshiping him? In the next verse, he says, and the angels, and of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirit and ministers a flame of fire? Verse 8, he says, but unto the Son, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever. Hey, thy throne, O what? Oh God, is the writer of Hebrew making a mistake? Who is he talking about? Jesus. And he says, Thy throne. Oh God. Thy throne. Oh God. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus is the expression and the fullness of God in the flesh. Jesus is God made manifest in the flesh. And so at this point, it should be clear to you that Jesus is God. Begin to pray in the language of the Spirit wherever you are. Worship